Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear and beloved in Christ, twice during the Mass, the priest recites these words, first before his own communion, and also before the communion of the faithful. And instead of using servant, we say that my soul will be healed. So I'd like to speak about the Holy Eucharist today. The criterion of belief for many Protestants can be expressed by the simple question, is it biblical? Using this standard of judgment, most Protestants deny the doctrine of transubstantiation, the change of the entire substance of the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, which occurs at the consecration of the Mass. This is because they do not see where it's substantiated by the Bible. To prepare our minds for the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, Christ first used his omnipotent power to change water into wine at the marriage feast of Cana. This was a gospel last week. He miraculously multiplied the loaves and fishes to feed more than 5,000 persons. The multiplication of the loaves and fishes is one of the most amazing miracles of our Lord's public life. Although the story is told in all four Gospels, St. John's account is the most detailed. Holy Scripture relates that 5,000 men and a multitude of women and children from Galilee listened to our Lord's teachings. The people were so captivated by Christ's sacred words that time passed quickly and evening arrived before the crowd apparently noticed it. Our compassionate Savior, realizing that the crowd that followed him was hungry, asked his apostle St. Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to try Philip's faith, for he himself knew what he would do. St. Andrew remarked, There is a young boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. What are these among so many? Christ took the items, miraculously multiplied them, and fed the multitude. On the following day, with the miracle of the loaves and fishes still fresh in the minds of the people, Christ explicitly taught them the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. He began by saying, Amen, amen, I say to you, you seek me, not because you have seen signs, but because you have eaten of the loaves and have been filled. Our Lord repeatedly used the very solemn words of a covenant oath, Amen, amen, throughout this entire chapter in St. John's Gospel. The word Hebrew word amen means so be it, or I swear that this is true. According to Hebrew law, the suspect of a serious crime could only be executed if the facts were verified by the testimony of two independent witnesses. In the courtroom, each witness was required to raise his hand toward heaven and say, Amen, I swear that this is true. In both the Old and the New Testaments, when God teaches something of supreme importance for salvation, he swears to it twice or gives the same message in two different forms. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ prefaces his teachings of eternal significance, such as the necessity of baptism and the Holy Eucharist for salvation with the words, Amen, Amen. Our Lord continues his discourse on the Holy Eucharist by saying, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for that which endures unto life everlasting, which the Son of God will give to you. The Jews commented that Moses 
gave them miraculous food called manna as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. They then boldly asked Christ for a similar sign. He replied, Amen, amen, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. They therefore, they said therefore to him, Lord, give us always this bread. But Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. They were puzzled and asked in what sense he was the bread of, from heaven. Our Redeemer explicitly stated, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert and have died. This is a bread that comes down from heaven so that if anyone eat of it, he will not die. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give you is my flesh for the life of the world. Our Lord thereby solemnly revealed a profound mystery, severely testing the faith and trust of his apostles and disciples. The revelation of the supernatural mystery of the Holy Eucharist caused confusion to many of Christ's followers since they took his words literally. They seemed offensive, for the Jews on that account argued with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can this man do this? Who can accept this? Far from revoking this truth, our Lord confirmed it in clearest and strongest terms. Jesus therefore said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a living Father has sent me, and as I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is a bread that has come down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and died. He who eats his bread shall live forever. Obviously, these words were not used in a figurative or symbolic sense, nor did the disciples accept them as such. They took Christ's words literally. and As a result, many of his disciples left him and did not follow him afterwards. Christ did not call them back saying that they had misinterpreted his words. No, he literally meant what he said, and they knew it. Since that time, millions have left the Catholic Church for the same reason. They're convinced that the Holy Eucharist cannot be the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. They refuse to make the act of faith required by our Lord. Sadly, many others also reject these clear teachings of Christ as found in, Saint, in chapter 6 in St. John's Gospel and claim that these words are only symbolic. These words which call in question the almighty and incomprehensible power of God would hinder them, says St. John Chrysostom, from believing all other mysteries and miracles. They might as well have said, how, can, how could he, with five loaves, feed 5,000 men? This question, how can he do this, is a question of unbelievers. St. Cyril says that how or how can he do this cannot without foully be applied to God. St. Paul's belief in the Holy Eucharist corresponds with the consistent teaching of the Catholic Church. His words are clear and direct. The chalice of benediction, which we bless, 
is it not the consecration of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the partaking of the body of the Lord? Whoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. How could the apostle declare that anyone who received Holy Communion unworthily would incur eternal damnation by merely eating a piece of bread or drinking a few drops of wine? But because the apostle knew that he who receives Holy Communion receives our Lord himself, he declared that to receive it unworthily was to be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and consequently to deserve hellfire. My dearly beloved in Christ, Protestants claim that at the Last Supper, our Redeemer merely offered bread and wine as a memorial. They ignore and deny the effect of the explicit words of the Son of God when he said, this is my body. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is being shed for many unto the forgiveness of sins. Could any words express more clearly the doctrine of our Lord's real presence in the Holy Eucharist? The words of Jesus Christ are the words of Almighty God, which have the power to create. In the book of Genesis, we see this prefigured when at his command and by his all-powerful word, God created light, heavenly bodies, the plants, the animals, human beings, angels, etc. God, by his almighty power, can at will cause or change caused the change or transubstantiation of bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Our Lord did so at the Last Supper, and he does so at the words of consecration pronounced by a validly ordained priest. At the Last Supper, our Redeemer told us apostles, do this for a commemoration of me. And from that time on, priests have been ordained for this purpose. My dearly beloved in Christ, if God can cause the food that we eat to become our own body and blood, would we dare to state that the Son of God could not cause bread and wine to become his own body and blood? How painful it is to hear fallen away Catholics excuse their defection from the church by claiming that they were not receiving spiritual nourishment there, referring to poor preaching. Ideally, in the Catholic Church, we should have both our Lord and the Holy Eucharist, together with the well-prepared preaching. However, if we contrast the preaching of a poorly prepared priest to the greatest Protestant orator of all time, we're just talking about words, the words of an uninspired priest. Yet in the Catholic Church, we have not just words, but the actual living Christ himself. Obviously, there's no comparison. I'd just like to close with a story. Everybody in the, her neighborhood loved Margie because she was good and kind. The children in school especially, who knew her best, thought she was the nicest girl they had ever met. What made Margie so good was her holy communion. She loved Jesus as her best friend. It was Jesus who made her soul so beautiful. Margie was about eight years old when she became seriously ill. When she was in, had a high fever, she said to her mother, Mother, I think I'm going to die. 
Her mother was very much upset and assured her that she was not going to die. I have something to tell you, Mother. When I die, I want you to put this little white book into my coffin. And Marjorie reached under the pillow and showed her the little book with a white cover. Margie printed these words on the cover of it, my Holy Communion book. On the first page inside, she wrote, to Jesus, my best friend. On the second page, she wrote all the months and weeks of the year. Each time she had gone to Holy Communion, she put a tiny gold star in the book in the right place. When her mother saw the 153 golden stars, she began to cry. She handed the book back to Margie and then left the room. Margie died the following week. When people came to see her lying in the coffin, they all remarked, isn't she like an angel? Dressed in her first communion dress, she had a rosary in her left hand and the book in her right hand, which was resting over her heart. When people asked her mother why Margie's hand was over her heart, she told them about the Holy Communion book and how she could not think of a better place to put it than over her heart, which loved Jesus so much, and where Jesus so often has come as Margie's guest. We don't know any more about Margie after she was buried, but don't you think that Jesus saw the little book which Margie when Margie appeared before him to be judged, how pleased he must have been. That little white communion book was like Margie's free ticket to heaven. My dearly beloved in Christ, the sheriff's way of going to heaven is to receive Holy Communion often, even daily when possible, because the sanctifying grace and the actual graces which Jesus gives you during and after Holy Communion will help you to avoid sin and to lead a holy life. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. With Jesus and Holy Communion, you can become a great saint. And this is what Holy Mother of the Church wants. She earnestly desires that everyone should go to Holy Communion at every Mass as long as one is not in the state of mortal sin, as long as one wants to become a better Catholic. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.